0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back yet again to another episode of the 100 Series Everyday Awesome Podcast. I am Joan Arrington, creator of the 100 Series, and we are back with another episode with another amazing person from right here in the Quad Cities who has been doing amazing things for a very long time now. She is the organizer of the Lincoln Center in Davenport. Uh, helping out a lot of local businesses in the area, and we have her here on the show to share with us about her to share with us about her journey so far here in the Quad Cities with helping the community, helping empower people. And Tracy Singleton, how are you?
1: I'm great. How are you? Thank you for having me.
0: Uh, no problem. No problem. Again, thank you so much for taking time out of your very busy schedule to chat with us here for a little bit and share all the amazing things that you're doing for our community no problem so before we get into the our conversation go ahead and just give us a little bit of background of who you are and you know what you've been up to lately
1: Okay. Um, well, as he said, I'm Tracy Singleton, uh, born and raised here in the Quad Cities. So I, um, um, it's a rarity these days that you find people that were born here, raised here, and still live here. Um, so I, um, have, I started out living on the west side of Davenport as a young girl, and I still live on the west side of Davenport. Um, but I love the Quad Cities as a whole, um, just because it's such a diverse area. Um, I have four children, but they're all grown. Um, I have two that are are back here in the Quad Cities, two that I'm trying to get back here, but they love what's going on where they live. So uh, that's where they're at. And um, I just love, love doing work. And as you mentioned, trying to empower um, more specifically the black community here in the Quad Cities. I'm a huge advocate. Um, I feel like a lot of plans are made. A lot of things are done um, around our community without our voices, so I work tirelessly to make sure that our voices are heard, that we are part of planning, we're part of a process, um, and at the same time, doing what I can, uh, my little piece, um, to help with the, the growth of the Black community. Um, so that's kind of how I landed at the Lincoln Center, and we are just so excited, um, February will kind of be our one-year anniversary because February of this year for Black History Month is when we kind of introduce ourselves to the community. So I'm just so excited um, for the work that's going on there and the people that are being affected by that work.
0: That is so cool. That is so cool that you put out so much time and so much effort and have been able to mobilize people Mm -hmm. to do all these things and mobilization is a huge thing getting people to latch on to your vision is mm-hmm. a, a big thing and I definitely want to want to talk to you about you know how you got people to latch on to your vision but before we get into that topic I want to ask you though how did all this come about how did you get the ideas for doing because you do a lot you do you you did the open air market with helping black businesses in the area uh, really get out and promote themselves you also organize rallies, a Black Lives Matter rally, I Matter rally. You organize mentorship programs for young black men in our area. So, where did you get the idea to to really you know, be active like this?
1: So, I'll tell you quite honestly. Um, I think it's it, like real quick backstory on me. Um, I'm of mixed race. My mom was Mexican. My father is black, uh, but they got divorced when I was real real young. And so when she remarried, she remarried a white man, and that was like my world. So like, by association, I just grew up middle class, you know, and had some privileges that other people didn't have because of where I grew up and how I grew up. Um, so I'm able to see both sides of it um, when it comes to these issues that affect our Black community, therefore, affecting the whole community. Um, But honestly, I was in my 20s just kind of doing my thing around here. I had just started um, DJing at the radio station at KALA, so I kind of had a voice. Um, And there was an article that was written in the Quad City Times that said the headline, it was on the front page, headline, Lack of Black Leadership in the Quad Cities. And so those at the time who felt like I'm a black leader, I'm doing my part. They kind of got offended um, by this article. And so they convened a a group of people and I was included in that group. And I, I, like I said, honestly, I think it was just because of the radio station I was included in this group. And so we started trying to figure out, well, why do they feel there's a lack of black leadership here in the Quad Cities? And at that time I met a gentleman by the name of Jim Hester. Um, Jim is a legend in the Quad Cities. Um, The, the the there's a room named after him in the davenport community for the school board he worked at deer he was a, a played for the chicago bears after graduation phil jackson was his roommate so like he's like this legend right and so i got to meet him and i was working with him um and i think he saw something in me that i didn't see in myself And so he just was a mentor at the end of the day, he was my mentor. And so, um, being in the positions that he was in, he would hear about things that were happening in the Quad Cities, but because of the position he was in, I don't think he always felt like he could go out and say something. So he would call me and be like, so guess what? And he would like, tell me something. i would be like, oh, that's so wrong. Or gosh, I I can't believe they're doing that. And then he'd always follow it with, so what are you going to do about it? And I'm like, oh, I'm supposed to (laughs) do something about it. And he's like, yeah, you need to call this person and set up this meeting. And once I started doing that and I could take those risks because I had him behind me, I felt uh, uh, almost a need to call out things that were happening and to be a voice where we didn't have a voice. So I would honestly say that is how my work started in the community and me being an advocate for the community. And then just seeing that things were happening and we were not included, we weren't invited, we weren't a part of. So instead of banging my head against the wall, like why why aren't, why aren't we invited to this? Why aren't we a part of this? I was just like, well, forget it. I'll just create it for us. And so that's just kind of how I got into doing events and, and doing programs. And um, I had a friend once tell me, cause like I'm an idea person. I'll call people early in the morning and be like, what do you think about this? <laughs> you know? And so one day I was talking to a friend of mine and she said, where do you think you're getting all these ideas from? And I'm like, I don't know. Like, I'm just that good, I guess. <laughs> She's mm-hmm. like, no, that's God. That is God. That is God speaking to you. Um, and so you have to listen. And so even even today, I know every idea is not for me to do, but those that I'm passionate about, like the well-suited, because I have two, two black men that are my sons. And I know what worked for me as a single mom. I was a teen mom. I was a single mom and I had two boys. And so keeping them around mentors and coaches and family and friends help them get to where they are now. And so my, it's a simple thought process is if it worked for my boys, then it could work for other boys. And so that's how Well Suited got started. And it really was only supposed to be an event. We did the tuxedo event, it went well, and that was supposed to be it. And then I had a principal call me and she explained, she's like, I only have two men in my school and I have no staff of color but I have these black boys that aren't seeing anyone that looks like them on a day-to-day basis. Can you bring your program here? I was like, yeah, sure. I'll bring my program there. It wasn't a program. So then I had to Mm -hmm. make it a program (laughs) and that's how well-suited was born, you know, but um, the concept of that is so simple where these boys are just able to, to interact with men who were once a boy just like them and probably grew up just like them. And so they're able to see themselves on the other side in real time, you know, because these are men who maybe didn't have a dad in the home, maybe witnessed violence, maybe had a lot of brothers and sisters and didn't know how they were going to eat or they moved every other month. These men share their stories with the boys to say, hey, I that was how I grew up. But these men are now engineer, military, law enforcement, teachers, entrepreneurs. And so they're able to see themselves on the other side. They're able to see that there is a way out of this. Yeah, my circumstances might suck right now, but I can see myself right now in him because he grew up just like I grew up. And when I just saw how it was changing lives, initially I felt with well-suited like this is going to be long-term. I'm going to have to wait until these boys are men. And they're working and they're being good fathers and they're being good men and they're being good members of their community. But in the six years that we've been around, I've been able to just see small glimpses of the effect that it's had on the boys. And That first group of boys that were nine years old when this first started are now 15. Um, They're going into their sophomore year of high school and these boys are the leaders in their school. They're the leaders on their teams, they're the president of their clubs and they all give well-suited credit for that because they were able to see men who were successful, who overcame, who had critical thinking process, who were able to focus and they picked up those habits you know, so um, well-suited is near and dear to me because I do take it very personal. Um, because like I said, I, I just, I feel like, and you're a black man, so you, you can, I don't think you get a fair chance. You don't. We see it every day. And that's why the I Matter rally was so important because after the whole George Floyd thing, I just like, I sat back and like I said, I have two sons and I just sit back and I'm like, man, it's just not fair. Like this world is not fair to black men. It's not, you're not at the same starting line with everyone else. And so I was like, I got to do something for these boys. I got to let them know that they matter, that despite what they see on TV, despite what they hear or see on social media, that they matter. And that's how the I matter rally, you know, came about. Um, I just feel like it's so important to try to breathe that life into them because uh, on a day-to-day basis, it has to be tiring. It has to be. And um, this Harvard did a study recently um, that showed that Black teens experience five instances of racism every day. Like, how exhausting is that at the end of a week? You know, that you just are who you are, but for some reason, people find error in that. And so, well-suited, it gives them that safe space. To feel like it's okay that I'm a black man, it's okay. I'll be okay. Yeah. So, um, so like I said, that that wasn't this wasn't supposed to be a thing, but it turned into <laughs> to mm-hmm. a thing. It was just supposed to be this one-time tuxedo event, which was, you know, I was happy with that. But it's turned into so much more, um, and we, we've helped so many boys, and we're still there for them. You know, mm-hmm. so. Um, And then with the businesses, you know, I'm part of the QC Empowerment Network, um, which was started about the same time, about six, seven years ago here uh, locally, um, based off a blueprint um, of the Empowerment Network in Omaha, Nebraska. Um, And it was really rallying just to bring the Black community together to identify what issues were, but then to come up with the solutions, not to complain about the issues, but how, how can we solve this? And they had great success there. So we were like, oh, let's try it here. Um, But we have a different set of problems because we are four cities versus just one city, right? And so we are four cities, four different police departments, four different school boards, four different municipalities. And so we couldn't just do exactly what they were doing, although we wanted to. So we found our niche with the Black-owned businesses because there was nothing being done for the Black-owned businesses, nowhere for them. Um, to have a space, nowhere for people to try to figure out who they are. Um, because with Black businesses, you know, most of them don't have a storefront or they're not brick and mortar. And, um, so we were like, okay, we'll do an expo. Once again, it was just supposed to be a one-time thing. We'll do an expo. and We'll invite, you know, whatever businesses that we can find and invite the community to come out. I born and raised here, as I mentioned, and really like I thought maybe there were four or five black businesses because you think about the ones that have been around for a while. Um, but when we put that call out, I think the first year we had like 20 businesses and I was so excited about that. We had some realtors, catering services, um, lawn care services, crafts. And I was just so excited about it. like, Oh, we got 20 businesses here. And then maybe about a hundred people came through that day because there's like this freak blizzard in November. Um, so we like, okay, we'll just make this a thing. And so that's how the black expo came about, which we do every February, the last, uh, Saturday of the month in black history. Um, and we kept every year we were just outgrowing our spaces, you know, where we were at until we landed on the mall. Um, and then the mall is just like perfect for us because there's parking, there's space. Um, we have intentional traffic that comes, but then you get that traffic that was at the mall that just happened to walk by and seen all these black businesses. Um, and so we don't want to just have them, just show up you know once a year at our expo we want them to grow as a business and so we developed lunch and learns um and then once again with covid um you know in 2020 uh juneteenth was also an opportunity for them to be a vendor um and i'm the the juneteenth festival organizer and so like we had to go virtual that year like we couldn't do it um, but I just felt so bad for the businesses because especially because COVID had been going on, they didn't really have an opportunity to do business. Um, and right at the same time, the uh, governor of Iowa said that farmer markets were okay, that they would open up farmer markets. And so I called down to our farmer's market and I'm like, hey, can we get a Sunday afternoon for just a few hours for our businesses in June? And they were like, yeah, sure. So we set it up kind of like a grocery store. We had aisles and people just walked up. Came around, came around, got what they wanted to get and and left. And we had to cap it out. We capped it out at like 30 businesses just because of COVID and the, you know, crowd restrictions. Um, But it went so well that first time we were like, oh, well, maybe we could do this all summer, you know, since it's outside. And so that's kind of how the open air markets came about. Um, And we wrapped up our second year. It's a successful season. A lot of businesses that started like that first year with us, this was their first vending opportunity those businesses have grown now they're online. Now they're in high V. you know, like they have grown because of that exposure and it's really just creating a space, you know, there, I try not to read comments like on, like Facebook, like KWQC, like I try to stay away because you'll mm-hmm. end up down a rabbit hole. Right. Oh yeah. 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 Oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And, um, but when they did a, an article, cause August is black owned business month so they mm-hmm. did like a news story on it and open your market and a friend called me and he was like did you read have you read the comments and I'm like no like why would there even be comments on it it's like there's almost 400 comments on this article I'm like why he's like just go read it so I started reading it and it's just so hard it's disheartening that we still have people who think the way they think right Yeah. Um, but at the same time I just feel like Anytime you get an opportunity to engage, you educate yourself. Right. And then, and then there's some understanding, you know, so maybe you understand a little bit more. So I had to quit trying to like yell at people. (laughs) I'm just like, just come, just come, you know? So you say, you don't see color, you shop with the best, but how do you know you're shopping with the best if you've never shopped with this business? So that's all we're trying to do is create this engagement. It's up to the businesses to develop a customer based on the engagement. We just want to create the space so that they have the same opportunity as everyone else.
0: Exactly. And that's so true. Cause I know exactly what you're talking about too. I, I was reading those sammy's exact comments and I was, mm-hmm. I was like, like you guys just don't know. You don't, you don't get it. But I also understand that because you know I grew up you know, in the qualities as well, you know, predominantly, mm-hmm. You know, only sometimes only the only black kid in my class, you know, that type of mm-hmm. deal. So a lot of a lot of people they've never really engaged with the black person before. They have never really they you know, I've learned that, that mm-hmm. you know, you gotta give so so I think that people need to like open themselves up more to to like engaging more with right you know, black people and black owned businesses because you know, they just haven't had that opportunity to like really Learn from a black person.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's like with the Lincoln Center. I get so many people that come through there. So with the Lincoln Center, we it's like a whole bunch of stuff under the umbrella. Like I, I always we did some focus groups when we were working on our strategic plan, and they're like, "What exactly do you do over there?" And I'm like, "Man, we got to normalize doing more than just one thing, right? <laughs> because mm-hmm. uh, with the Lincoln Center, we do it all, you know. And so um, within the Lincoln Center, we have Um, approximately 20 businesses, organizations, and nonprofits that are tenants in the building. So based on what they do, um, we get about 100 kids in the building every day um, for some type of practice. We have the boxing club, we have basketball teams, we have dance programs, and we have an after school program. And so um, we get a lot of tours, we get people, I'm hoping that everyone is coming in um, with good intent to say, oh, hey, can I get a tour, you know? And so I'll walk them through and I'll tell them this is where this is going to go, this is what we're doing here. Um, And I had um, a group, like, they stopped me in the middle of me doing my tour. And they're like, so is this just for Black people? And I said, no, it's not. It's not just for Black people. But understand what the focus is when you walk in the door. The focus is on empowering and educating our youth, our families, and our community and creating through opportunities, right? But I want other people to come in the door because once again, if you come in these doors, you're gonna understand and you have this engagement and this education that you wouldn't have gotten had you not walked through our doors. And that I'm hoping that you leave with a better understanding of why these programs, these events, these resources, these after school programs, why they're necessary for the black community. All I can do at the end of the day is live our mission and empower the Black community. But if we can do that at the Lincoln Center, then we make for a greater Quad Cities at the end of the day. Now we become that inclusive, welcoming and inclusive Quad Cities that all these regional vision plans say they want to be. Now we're able to be that because we're getting an opportunity to create those opportunities for everyone, not just a select group of people
0: and that is what i love i I love that vision and i want to talk more about like developing the vision and getting people to latch on to that vision because like you said before you have a lot of ideas you get a lot of ideas so how do you go about like communicating those ideas and getting people to to buy in
1: so i'll say i just had this conversation yesterday everything happens for a reason i'm a big believer in that like everything happens for a reason and um, so the meeting that I was at yesterday was like, oh, they were talking about different corporations and companies in the Quad Cities. They're like, oh, well, they, they got a new DEI initiative or they have a, a new corporate social responsibility plan. And I know all this is coming after George Floyd. Right. Um, and so I hate that it took that man to lose his life the way he did to make people start seeing that there are two Americas, right? <laughs> yeah. There's the white America and there's the black America. Um, so locally you have a lot of businesses, a lot of corporations who are, are saying, we want to be more diverse. We want to be more inclusive. We want to have some cultural competency so that we can understand. Right. So at the, this all happened at the same time that the Lincoln center was happening. Um, and so for me, once again, like I can't, I can't change people's minds. All I can do is do what our mission is. And hopefully you will see something within your mission that aligns with our mission. And then we can work together. Um, so with the Lincoln Center, it was always the plan to to do, like I said, to provide resources, programs, services, events, and space. And um, going in on day one, it's this is whole school, right? It's just this big school. <laughs> and mm-hmm. It was pretty much empty. I would be there during the day, like all by myself in this big school. Um, but I knew that funding was going to be a challenge because we're a new nonprofit. We're a black nonprofit. I'll say it. They won't say it, but I'll say it. We're a black nonprofit. We're new. Um, obviously, there were um, some challenges when they got the school on how they got the school instead of it going to this contractor that was going to pay $300,000 and they paid $30,000. So I knew it wasn't going to be easy as far as getting the funding necessary to do some of the things that we wanted to do. But if I didn't have anything else, I had space. And so it was really just word of mouth and talking to businesses about the importance of being able to have a storefront, being able to have a space where people can find you and people can come to you um it's always scary when you take on another bill and you're already just trying to make it you know um but talking to those people who had a dream who had a vision and letting them know that we're here to support that by offering low cost space by including you in our marketing you know by having events here where people can find out who you are and what you do um so they are really the heartbeat of the Lincoln Center because when when I started, there was two tenants, and now we have twenty two tenants, and so now we're um, able to have funds that cover the costs, you know, of running the space, and so once I was able to to, okay, we're going to get people in here. Then the second thing was establishing relationships. And to me, that's very important. I never want to be the person that just calls you when I want something, right? Oh, yeah, <laughs> You know, those type of people, when you see their name, oh, what they want, right? I don't want to be that person. <laughs> but um, we have anchor institutions, you know, within that neighborhood. Now, um, in regards to where the Lincoln Center is located, um, which is Central Davenport, There is nothing in that area. There's no grocery stores, no convenience stores, no gas stations, no ATM machine, no medical services. There is nothing right there in that immediate area. So although we have all these wonderful plans for events and services and programs, we also have to be a resource for the community that is right there for that neighborhood. Um, so then those conversations started about food pantries, about health services, about parenting programs, after school programs, tutoring programs. Like, how can we help these kids that are right here and help these families that are right here? So, to me, it was important to establish relationships with those anchor institutions that were in the community as well. So, that's Palmer, that's Genesis, that's St. Ambrose University, that's Sacred Heart Church, that's the YMCA. You know, so it was just every, every day I'd make a phone call and I'd invite people over and give them a tour and let them see our vision because it's really easy to see once you walk in the doors, right? Like I had never been in that school in my life and before I was offered the position as executive director, I went and took a tour of the school. And it's an, it was an empty building at the time. But as I walked through those halls and walked up those steps and walked in those rooms, I just knew like, Oh gosh, this would be wonderful here. Oh, this, we could definitely do this here, you know? And it was. So then when people come and take a tour, they like, they see what I see. Right. And it's not even there yet, but I'm like, this is going to be a food pantry and we're going to have this right at the front of the school so that people can come in. They don't have to walk all the way through the school, but you know, we're going to turn these windows into walk up windows and do meals. This is going to be our business center. You know, and we're going to be able to help not only the businesses that are here in the building, but people out in the community to be able to come in and fill out job applications and get into programs and find out, you know, about educational programs. And so, um, I'm able to share that vision with them. And then before, you know, it, they're like, how can I help? What can I do? How can I be a part of this? So it's really just sharing the vision. And then I'm very big on the numbers because at the end of the day, numbers don't lie. Right. Like I can say anything I want to say, but I could just be making it up. right? (laughs) But if you know the numbers, if you know the data, and you see how every issue that we're having in our community right now is only affecting the black community when it comes to income. We, we don't get those jobs. You know, city of Davenport, largest employer in the city, 1900 employees, only 58 of them are black. I have a problem with that because our taxes pay that. We all live here. So if we can't even get those type of jobs, then how can we build wealth? How can we get those good pensions? How can we get that good insurance if we can't even get in the door to get those jobs? When it comes to crime, it went up 185% from 2018 to 2019. But when I said, well, who who is being affected about this? They didn't wanna give the numbers because if they gave the numbers and told me what I already knew, then my next question is, what are you doing to help the black community? They're not doing anything. Education. We already know, even though they've lacked some on it, the Davenport Community School District is being run by the state because of the disproportionate rate of suspensions, because of the disproportionate number of black kids being sent to special education and being on IEPs, when it really just comes down to you have no black teachers in your schools. So there's a, there's a gap there where culturally the kids aren't getting what they need. And so when all of those problems that are facing our community directly affect the black community then something needs to be done nothing changes if nothing changes right we can't keep doing the same stuff and expect a different result that's insanity so when i'm able to back up my vision and our mission with the numbers that clearly state the black community needs a shift we got to start changing our narrative then people who are serious now, some people just talk because it sounds good, but people mm-hmm. who are serious, then they're ready to jump on board and help because it's tangible. It's right there in their face. You can walk through our doors any day, any time of day and see directly where your dollars, where your investment, where your volunteer work, where your donations, you can see exactly where it's going.
0: I love it. I love it. So like what type of message? I mean, I know you're already, you touch base on already with, you know, with how the city has been handling things on their end, but what about to you know the everyday the everyday person who you know and when I say everyday person I mean non-black um, who mm-hmm. doesn't know much about you know, you know black-owned businesses or some of the issues affecting the black community. What what message do you have for them specifically?
1: that they have to engage they do now um i i I remember talking to the chamber and i said you know across the board there's just there's just a lack of involvement from that community with the black community right so you literally have the same handful of black people that sit on every board in the quantity, so that they can check a box and say, oh, we're diverse, you know, and um, you have a few that are very good at being intentional on just having, you know, staff, not just board members, but staff. Um, but you have some institutions where you walk in and you don't see one person of color, like not one, you know, and then they wonder why they have a problem getting volunteers and, you know, black volunteers or black people to participate. And so I think that intentionality is one thing. Like you can't just say, oh, I want to learn more about the black community or learn more about, you have to be intentional about that. If you want a Mercedes, you know how to get a Mercedes, right? You know what dealership to go to, how you're going to finance it, what your trade in value is going to be. Like be as intentional with that with finding out more about the black community or being part of the black community. I also feel like though, there does have to be a level of comfortability. I don't know if I'm saying that word right. Um, But I have had, I had one woman call just based on reading an article about our cops and kids program, which is our literacy program. And she's like, I'm a former school teacher. I'm retired now. I I would love to help, but I'm white. I said, doesn't matter. (laughs) The kids, we just got to get the work done. Right. (laughs) So I, I said, I, even if you think it's just a little bit, even my own son, my own son, um, my oldest son, he uh, participates in well-suited events. And he used to always say, well, you know, mom, I'm just, I'm just a, a he's a bar and restaurant manager. You know, I say, like, but gosh, you've lived a life. Like you've overcome so many things. Like that's the story you share with the boys. Don't ever think that what you have to offer is not enough or not good enough. I don't care if you're white, black, purple, green, like if you care, if you care about kids education or kids learning how to read or families being able to buy a home or, you know, whatever it is, if you care, then that's enough right there. That's the first step is that you care. So whether you just come to help clean up the parking lot or put stickers on books or whatever, that is making a difference. Um, I had a teacher call me, um, with a social justice club and she was like, well, we want to help. And I was like, oh good. Like I have these books that need to be moved, you know, like they're in one room, but they need to go upstairs and you got these college kids like they They can do it. She's like, well, you know, we're really, you know, about social and racial justice. And so I was like, well, do you know that By third grade, only 42% of black kids are reading at third grade reading level. She's like, no, I didn't know that. I said, yeah, so over half of kids in third grade aren't even reading at third grade reading level, which means that they're four times more likely not to graduate. And for black boys, if you don't graduate, you're 10 times more likely to end up in prison. I said, is that enough social justice for you? That if we can get these kids to learn how to read, then we start changing these numbers? She's like, well, I didn't look at it that way. Yeah. So, you know, every little thing helps. Um, So I would say that be intentional and engaged. Those are my two words of advice for people who might not think that they're helping, but they really are.
0: Okay. And kind of switching gears now, um, Uh what are some things that you do personally to kind of keep your mind focused on what you're trying to accomplish, on your goals and on your aspirations? What are some, some things, some habits that you do? To, uh, keep yourself focused?
1: Well, I'm a list person. Like I, I write everything down. Um, I have this huge whiteboard in my office. It takes up a whole wall. And so I say it's like my enemy because <laughs> like every day I have to look at it <laughs> and look at things that I need to do. But for me, I, I have to cross things off or erase things to feel like I'm getting things accomplished. Right. Um, so, um, and I, I'm, I hold myself accountable. I'm probably harder on myself than anyone has ever been um, on me, you know, because at the end of the day, I came into a role um, that I feel like everything that I've gone through in my life kind of just set me up for this position. And um, every day I see these kids walk in the building and I hear them talk about what their dreams are and what their goals are. And I know that we have to do what we can to help them achieve that. Um, So, yeah, that's how I keep myself focused. And um, I try to stay, I read a lot. I read a lot of articles. I read a lot of, you know, news stories. I read about things that are happening in other cities. And I've never been one to be like, oh, we can't do that here. And I'm always like, okay, yeah. Yeah, we could do that here. This could help, you know. So I just try to stay on top of what's working in other areas because we're working with the same type of kids that they're working with. We might not, you know, we might not be in Chicago or in LA, but gosh, we got the same problems, you know, we got the same problems. And so um, just staying on top of what's working in other areas and seeing how I can incorporate that in our, our community, keeping that whiteboard up and holding myself accountable.
0: Good stuff. Good stuff. Now, um, gonna ask a few more questions here, and then we're gonna start wrapping things up here. Uh huh. What would be advice that you would give to a person, maybe a young person here in the Quad Cities, who also wants to start getting involved in their community? Like, for example, I know I have a, a cousin of mine, uh, Avery Pearl. Uh, he's I'm in a familiar qualities. with Avery? Yeah. yeah. yeah so, mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, he just uh, wrote it. Wrote a book they right. talking uh-huh. about you know anti-black policing and everything. So and he's just twenty-five. So what is something that you would say to encourage more younger people to get more involved in the in the community?
1: For one, um, gosh, they got to be passionate about what they're doing. Um, because at the end of the day, when people don't want to listen to you or they tell you that's not a good idea or whatever, you know, whatever it is, your passion is what keeps you going. Right. And, and knowing that you're making a difference is what keeps you going, you know, with, with well-suited, we work with so many boys, but even if at the end of the day, one boy said, well-suited changed my life. I've done, then we've done what we were supposed to do. Right. So I think, um, and, and, I've met Avery. And so I'm like very familiar with his passion, you know? And so I think that if you have that, everything else just falls in place, but you can't get discouraged. You have to be very mindful of the community that we live in um, where it's 10% of the black population. So you're dealing with a lot of white people. Right. (laughs) And so you can't get discouraged if you believe in um, what you're doing and you're passionate about what you're doing, you cannot get discouraged. Um, If it's supposed to be, it will never be difficult. Like, God will make sure things are aligned for things to happen. You know, and even on those days where you're like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to make this happen, hold on, because that next day you'll get that phone call or that email or that donation, you know, that makes reaffirms for you that this is what you're supposed to do. I, I, a lot of people don't know, but so when I took this position as executive director, um, it was a lot of negotiating, right? And so we got everything negotiated and then they're like, well, you know, we don't have any money, right? I was like, oh, (laughs) like, no, (laughs) like money's a part of this. (laughs) But all I heard was do it, Tracy. And so I told him, I said, I'll volunteer. I'll, I'll do the work. I'll work 40 hours, 40 plus hours a week. You know, I'll, I'll develop the programs. I'll work on fundraising. I'll do it because I know once the community um, gets behind what we're doing and understands how important the Lincoln center is, the money will come. So um, I've been a volunteer for a year now. Right. (laughs) But then I got a phone call and they're like, we want to help. And so now a year later, now I I'm starting to get paid. But had I, had I said no, like when they were like, well, we don't we can't pay you. Had I said no, who knows where I would have been? I would have been in a job that I didn't want. You know what I'm saying? Just to be working because I know I have to work. But um never missed the beat this whole year though, because I was doing what I was led to do, what I what God ordered me to do. And never missed a beat as far as bills and you know, what we got to take care of here. We were still able to take vacations. I still had my wedding because I was engaged at the time, you know? And so for me, that's just confirmation. And so when you're doing what God led you to do, it'll never be hard. He'll put those things in place for you to make it happen. So you got to have a faith.
0: I was just going to say that. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) So, do you have anything else that you would like to share with the public, get out there, uh, any events coming up that you want to promote or anything like that?
1: Yeah, we're, we're going to have a holiday event, um, kind of like our version of Festival of Trees, you know, just to make this like a little bit more for our people. You know, um, and then February, always Black History Month. We're just gearing up for huge Black History Month. Um, Some of our new spaces, we'll be doing ribbon cuttings for um, in the building. Um, We are doing a fundraiser. It's a business giving fundraiser, business giving circle. So we're asking all businesses in the Quad Cities to participate. We'll kick that off in January. That um, will go through till February um, and then just every day there's just there's always something going on there and so much our website will be going live by the end of December which I think will help people more because I'll always like people will come in the building and they're like oh I didn't know you're doing all this or I didn't know this was here and um, I'm, I suck at social media. Like I, we have so much content that I can be putting out probably two or three times a day. I just don't have the time, right? Like right now I'm the only staff. So yeah, I'm executive director, but I'm also like janitor, garbage man, event planner, volunteer coordinator you know, Um, but that'll change. That'll change in January as well. Um, so yeah. So like people know we're there, but they don't know exactly what we're doing or when something is going on. So I'm trying to get a little, I'm trying to get better about that, but I think our website will definitely help. Um, so that, that goes live at the end of December.
0: And that leads to my last, last question. How can Uh people, how can people find you if they want to look you up, get more information about what you're doing?
1: Mm -hmm. So we do have a Facebook page. It's TMBC together, making a better community TMBC at the Lincoln center. So we are on Facebook. I am at the school every day. Um, monday through friday not saturdays and sundays but i'm there monday through friday um, from nine to four and that's usually how people just come and knock on the door (laughs) you know um and then um our email is w or not that's not our email tmbcqc at gmail.com
0: got it perfect well all right thank you so much (laughs) Tracy Singleton, everyone. Thank you so much for coming on here. No, no problem. Thank you for having me. No problem. And everyone at home checking us out. Thank you for listening or watching this episode of the 100 series, Every Day Awesome Podcast. Make sure you go and check out Tracy and everything that she's doing and make sure that you stay locked right here so you know exactly when the next episode is going to drop. Thank you all. And as always, wishing you peace, prosperity, and positivity. Take care of yourselves, and as always, keep it 100.